0: So this morning we're in John chapter 18, going to read through verses 1 through 27, just to set the context here. Jesus has just finished in the upper room with his disciples. Um, The hour of his death is now at hand. And in chapter 17, Albert has done such a fantastic job talking about how Scripture reveals the glory of God, the glory of Jesus, the display, the revelation of who he is. And that's going to carry over into chapter 18. We're going to see the glory of Christ's divine control and his divine care. Um, This morning, I have asked Abigail Brooke to come read our passage of Scripture. So, Abigail, you want to come up? Awesome. It'll be projected on the screen behind you, um, but if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to have your Bible out as well.
1: Of those whom you have gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name is Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed.
0: Thank you, Abigail. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, um, as we come to your word, this is just so rich. There's so much... We're not going to have time to to cover everything. And, Father, I thank you that your word is such a treasure and that there is so much that you are always going to have us to mine, to learn. God, that you'll draw us deeper and deeper into you to see your glory. But, Father, you have things for us this morning. Father, um, I pray that you would meet us. Thank you, Spirit, that you are going to illuminate all the things that you want us to see, that you're going to put a spotlight on Jesus. So, Father, we put our hope and trust in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, so picture the scene. The Passover meal is over. The, the dirty dishes are, are on the table. Jesus has taken time to, to be with his disciples. Judas has left, so there's just the 11. Jesus has been preparing the disciples for what is now to come. And then he prays for them. And then we're told in the beginning of chapter 18 that that after Jesus spoke these words, it says he led the disciples to a garden. And this was a, a familiar garden. It's a place that they had been going to very often. This is no coincidence. You see, Jesus was going to the very location he knew Judas would expect to find him. You see, Jesus wasn't being tricked or lured into some trap where he was going to be captured. He was leading himself to the very place that he knew he would be captured. He was ensuring it would take place. You see, Jesus was in complete control of his destiny and his death. And sure enough, that's where Judas comes. And Judas arrives with a band of Roman soldiers and some Jewish temple police. Now, in the original language here, it says that it's a, a cohort of Roman soldiers, and a cohort would be about 600 men. And there's some debate whether or not it was that many men here. It could have been a, a subset, maybe about 200 men. But Judas brought a massive group of men, and he brought along the rent Now, cops Now, the, the, the Jewish temple police were, were officers that had a, a role as well. And so it's It's interesting, you have Jews and Gentiles gathering together to come capture Jesus. See, the Jews were angry, and when we refer to Jews, oftentimes we're talking about the religious leaders. They were angry because Jesus was blaspheming in their mind. He was claiming to be God, but really he was totally disrupting their system of religion. He was challenging their authority, and so they wanted him dead. The Romans... This is the Passover time, and so there are hundreds and thousands of Jews that have come to gather. And they would always strengthen their forces during these Jewish festivals because they wanted to make sure that there was no uprising. So here we are in a garden. You've got hundreds of men with torches. They've got weapons with them. And in the midst of all this, Jesus not only is controlling all things, he's actually taking care of his disciples. What incredible love. Look at verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him. He knows what's going to happen. He says, whom do you seek? Now... If Jesus knew everything that was going to happen, why in the world did he just ask them, who are you looking for? Couldn't Jesus have answered that? I'm the guy you're looking for. Here's why. I think two reasons. First, Jesus asks them twice, correct? And both times they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus did this because now he has just established, you're looking for me. And the only warrant you have is for me. Therefore, these men are to be let go. See, Jesus was protecting his disciples. He made it clear to the, the, the Romans and to the Jewish officers, look, you're not here for them. You have to let them go. And so Jesus willingly gives himself up on their behalf. Jesus is complete control. He's calling all the shots. Verse 9 tells us, he says, the reason that Jesus did that and made sure that all of the disciples, the 11 disciples were let go, why? It was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Remember the prayer that he prayed? I won't lose any one that you've given to me. He had spoken, of these whom you gave me, I have lost not one. What does it mean that Jesus didn't lose one? Jesus was protecting these disciples, not just physically. Yes, he protected them from being arrested. But their faith is getting rocked to the core. And Jesus is going to sustain and protect their faith from a trial that their faith could not stand up against. You see, he wasn't going to let any one of them fall away from faith. Jesus didn't let the disciples be captured and taken out of the garden because he knew if they were arrested, their faith wouldn't be able to handle it. And that's why Jesus says, take me, let them go. There's going to come a time when the disciples will have faith that can handle being arrested. There's going to come a time when their faith can handle a persecution beyond what they could have ever imagined. But this wasn't the time. And so Jesus, even knowing that he is going to his horrific death, is protecting his own. Does Jesus lose anyone today? I mean, doesn't it sometimes feel like your trial or your temptation is going to absolutely crush you? You feel like, God, I, I can't handle this. There's no way I can get through this. Guys, there's times where my faith is rocked. And yet, Jesus is still today protecting us and our faith from a temptation and a trial that would utterly destroy our faith. Look, it doesn't mean that He's not going to allow us to walk through difficult trials. But a smoldering wick He will not snuff out. And when our faith does fail, I love the song that you had us sing this morning, guys. I'm going to cling, I'm going to cling. Oh, but you know what? Anybody watch American Ninja Warrior? Man, I wish I could be an American Ninja Warrior. You're watching these guys, and they're holding on, and they're gripping, and then it gets to where they've only got an inch of a ledge, and suddenly their finger strength just gives out. And they fall into a, a, a bath of water. In the Christian life, God says, Look, I'm hold on, hold on. And the whole time, our Father's walking right there with us. I got gotcha. you. And when our finger strength just l- drops, He's like, I had you the whole time. Here you go. Hook back on. Let's keep going. You see, Jesus is still doing that for us today. He's not going to let our faith be destroyed. And praise God, it's not about a perfect faith because none of us have it. It's about an imperfect faith in a perfect Savior. So when the officers say to Jesus' question, who are you looking for? or Jesus rep- replies and he says, I am. In the, the English translation here, they usually say, I am he. But in the original, it really is, ego me I am. Does that sound familiar? Maybe like the way Yahweh, covenant-keeping God, revealed himself to Moses when Moses said, hey, who am I supposed to tell the rest of the people you are? He says, I am. And Jesus drops, I am. Now, it's funny. Some commentators say, so all the Roman soldiers and and all the Jewish officers, they just, they kind of stumbled and then they tripped on each other and fell. And I don't buy it whatsoever. When When Jesus gives this self-disclosure, he pulls back the veil and he says, I am God. And they see the glory of God in that moment, and bam, they are knocked to their rear ends. And there's Jesus standing there. And can you just imagine, then they all get back up and Jesus says, So so who is it that you're looking for? (laughs) And and after all that, Jesus... (laughs) They, they just say, okay, yeah, we're looking for Jesus others. I am. And then I love it. So remember the disciples, we don't get all the details here that you do in some of the other what we call synoptic gospels. Okay? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are the four gospels. John is specific. He is identifying certain things and he's leaving out other details. He's doing this because in John, remember, it's about the glory of God. This is about Jesus being in control. And so we're not going to see all the other human struggle that takes place where the disciples are are falling asleep. But the disciples have been asleep, and Peter's a little groggy, and he, he realizes there are a lot of guys lined up with torches and weapons coming to get. And he doesn't know if it's for everybody or just Jesus. And so Peter, he shakes the cobwebs out. The situation looks really grim, and so what does he do? says he pulls out a sword. I love It's actually, it's not when you think a sword. I'm thinking like a sword. It's like a dagger. (laughs) Like, Peter, you're bringing a knife to a gunfight, dude. There are hundreds of men here. And Peter pulls out his little knife. And he takes a swipe. Now, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he was an amazing aim to just take the guy's earlobe. But my guess is that he's just swinging. And all he does is catch the earlobe. Again, we don't get the full story because... In Luke, it says that Jesus actually just reaches up and heals Malchus's ear. I mean, Peter, okay, brave, courageous, oh, but misguided. And oh, wrong on so many levels. I mean, Jesus is just right there, and he just knocked all these guys on their can by just saying, I am. Peter, what do you think you're doing with this little knife? But here's what's more significant. Peter failed to understand what Jesus was all about. You see, Peter's actions were a denial and a failure to understand that Christ had to die. Christ had to do the will of the Father because there was no other way. And so Jesus says, Peter, put your sword away. I have to drink this cup. I have to take the wrath of the Father in order for you to be really free. How many times in life have you ever seen a situation where life looks so difficult and you just grab it by the horns and say, I got this. Like Peter, just, okay, what do I got to do? And he jumps in. Now, we would never actually say, Jesus, I've got this one. You can take a break. We wouldn't say that. But so often, that's exactly what our lives display. You see... When we think that we know how things should be done and we never take time to stop and pray and we never take time to seek God's word about it, isn't that a way to tell Jesus, I can take care of this one. I can figure it out. Or or when our our actions and our attitudes contradict what the Bible actually says and calls us to. I mean, any time where I am quick to speak and slow to listen, rather than being slow to speak and quick to listen, Isn't that telling Jesus, I know how to handle this situation. I don't really need to follow what you've said. In so many ways, self-sufficiency can can be so subtle. And that's exactly what Peter was doing. And that's a temptation for all of us. Now, Peter cutting off that ear could have started a riot. But no. No. Jesus is still in control, and he quiets the crowd. He heals the ear. And then Jesus just says, okay, let's go. He hands himself over. I don't know what the officers must have been thinking after all that. You just watched him heal a man's ear, and and now you're going to bind him up and take him like you're really in control and charge of the situation. But Jesus says, okay. And so we're told that he's taken... To the house of the high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. So Caiaphas is the current high priest, Annas is the father in law. But in the Jewish heritage, it once you were a high priest, you, you were kind of a high priest for life. So Caiaphas was really the, the reigning high priest, but Annas was still highly involved in a lot of ways. And we're told here by John in verse fourteen. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. I mean, from a human perspective, it looks like Jesus' destiny is completely in control by, by these high priests. But John's saying, no. No, do you realize, man, God is orchestrating all these things to accomplish his perfect plan. It's exactly the way God wants it to go down. You see, Caiaphas isn't in control. He's just part of God's plan. Have you ever felt like things are falling apart and that there's no way it could be God's plan? Have you ever wondered, God, are you really in control? It happens for us, doesn't it? But do you see all throughout Scripture, particularly in this passage, Jesus is still sitting on the throne. The Father is still in charge of all things. It might not be working out the way you would expect. The disciples are confused. They scatter. Whoa, what's happening? This isn't what we planned. But not once has it been out of the control of a perfect, loving father. Peter and John were told, follow Jesus to the house of the high priest. And somehow John has connections with the priest. And so he's able to enter right away. And Peter has to wait at the gate. But John pulls some strings, and next thing we know, the servant girl who's keeping watch at the gate allows Peter to come in. And as Peter enters, she asks, are you one of the man's disciples? No sword this time, is it? Maybe it was the girl that scared him. (laughs) No, this time Peter says, no, I don't know him. Peter's afraid. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Can I really trust Jesus? Can I trust what's going to play out in front of me. You know, I think sometimes I can I can get hard on Peter and be like, "Man, how could you deny Jesus?" Hmm. But when when you're a follower of Jesus and you see other people mocking Christianity, trashing other Christians, it's not easy. When I was in high school, I I wanted to be a witness to Jesus, but it was really hard. I was really scared what people would think of me. And so there was times where, where I would be very quiet. I mean, even when I was working at a biotech company, there were times where I didn't want to stand up and say, yeah, no, I believe in this Jesus and and stand up for the truth. I mean, it can be so hard. It can be hard to, to honor the name of Jesus at work with our neighbors, sometimes with family. And now the scene turns to the high priest who's going to interrogate Jesus. In verse 19, it says that that Annas questions Jesus about the disciples and his teaching. You know, he was probably trying to con- get Jesus to to kind of in- self-incriminate himself. I mean, Jesus says, "Look, this is a sham. You know what I've been teaching. I've been doing it openly." And you know that Jewish law requires you to have witnesses brought. You are never to have the accused come first. What you're doing is wrong. It's completely illegal. And when Jesus responds, one of the servants pops Jesus across the face. The Son of God in flesh who has done nothing wrong, who said what you are doing is wrong, is now struck in the face. Why Jesus didn't turn and strike him dead in that moment blows my mind. But Jesus was in utter control, and he says, I'm going to take this because I know what I have to keep going towards. What humiliation The Son of God is being subjected to. A sham of a trial. Slapped across the face. And yet he yields his rights so that he can go forward to die for the sin of those who reject him. For you and for me. For the disciples. Jesus is in absolute control still. And then he turns to the man who struck him and says, look, if I've done something wrong, please bring the charges. But if not, why did you strike me? What graciousness. And then in verses 25 through 27, John now turns back to Peter. We see that Peter's in the courtyard warming himself around the fire, and there's others gathered around. Man, can you imagine? Peter had to have been so scared. If Jesus is arrested and they're treating him this way, what in the world's going to happen to us? He's confused. His faith is wavering. And it's here that Peter denies Jesus two more times. And so now, a total of three times... Peter, who had said, Jesus, I will follow you to the end. I will die for you. Wow, has shrunken in and denies the one he said he would follow. And just as Jesus prophesied, the rooster crows. I mean, can you imagine the overwhelming sense of failure that Peter must have had You see, in his own strength, Peter couldn't follow Jesus. And that's exactly why he needs Jesus to go to this cross. See, Peter has to have a new heart and a new power in order to be even close to express faith in the midst of trials like that. But even then, with that new heart and new faith... Ultimately, Peter's going to have to continue to struggle and he will continue to fail and he will continue to have to look to the one who will not fail him. You see, even though Peter failed in that trial and will continue to struggle and fail and he sinned against God, he rejected God. He denied God. Yet Jesus did not fail Peter and did not reject Peter. And we know that's not the final chapter for Peter. In a few chapters, we're going to see Jesus come back to Peter and restore Peter. And not because Peter was so worthy or not because, Peter, I get it. I know you made a mistake. No. What amazing grace and mercy. He says, Peter, you rejected me. But I don't reject you. I come to you again and restore you. Have you ever felt like your faith has failed you completely? Have you ever felt like you've just blown it? And when it came to trusting and following Jesus, man, I've got plenty of stories. Um, One of the areas that can be a real struggle for me um, to express faith and follow Jesus is sports. (laughs) Um, So when when my kids, well, Carissa was playing soccer when she was younger. And uh, I had a tendency to stand on the sideline and cheer a lot. But I also like to commentate and talk about how the referees were doing, and I, I encouraged the good calls. Um, I might have also pointed out the times when they weren't as good. Um, I would also kind of help coordinate the kids where they should be at different times. I mean, it was just like this ongoing, there's a, a real struggle for self-control. And one game, they asked me to be a, a line judge, and, and all you had to do is just walk up and down the side and, and pull up a little flag when the ball went out of bounds. Pretty straightforward. Okay, well, you just put me, like, right next to the game. And so, man, I am cheering, and Carissa's in goal, and so I'm, like, telling the defense where to be, and I'm like, come on, guys, And the ref's like, hey, you need to stop. Okay, okay. I might have gotten excited again and started to do it again, and the coach for the other team said, you need to stop, and the ref said I needed to stop. And a lot of people know that I'm a believer. They know that at the time I wasn't a pastor, but I was working with the church and wanted to be a pastor at the church. And I, I, mean, I prayed. I was like, God, please help me. I'm have self-control. And man, next thing I know, man, these kids are coming down at my little girl. And I'm like, I'm right back in the game again. And I'm telling And all of a sudden the referee blows the whistle. And he walks over to me. So I mean, all the parents are watching. Everybody's watching. And he's just like, can you please put down your flag and walk around the field and go sit down? So the walk of shame ensued. <laughs> Had to walk all the way. And it's just... So And I'm, I'm ready to sit down next to Cassie. And she's like, nope. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I, I blew it. I blew it. And I blew it in public. I felt like such a failure. I felt like, man, Lord... I know what you called me to. And I just made a disaster out of it. I felt like a failure. But even in that moment, Jesus didn't fail me. He was with me. And he forgave me. You see, we have to always fight to be faithful. But we have to remember that it's always Jesus that keeps us and not ourselves. Our ultimate hope must be in him and not our strength. Just like we talked about last Sunday out of 1 Peter 3, 5. You who are guarded by faith until salvation, that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Who does the guarding? It's him, not us. Let me ask you, when, when you look around and you see... Everything's so dark and hopeless, or life seems out of control. It's hard to understand what God is doing. Doesn't the Spirit of God gently remind us that King Jesus is still in control? He's not taken by surprise. And in that very moment, He's actually praying for us, sustaining our faith, strengthening us. And in that moment, we have a choice. We have a choice in how we respond to that grace. Lord, am I going to believe that and let that shape how I now live? Or am I going to stand there frozen on the edge of that diving board and say, no, Lord, I won't go there because I don't trust you? Or are we going to just say, I got this. I can take care of it. And we just plow forward. No, God calls us to say, I want you to look to me. Remember that I'm in control. And then listen to the words of Peter. Later on, after Peter has been restored, after Peter now because of the life, death, and resurrection, the risen Savior who has given Peter a new heart and has strengthened his faith, Peter says in a letter that he writes in 2 Peter, for this very reason, I want you to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. He says, look, Jesus is going to hold you and he's going to strengthen your faith. And you now have this responsibility to respond to that faith, to keep strengthening it and keep working at this because of what Christ has done. And not to try to operate as a church in your own flesh and think you know how to do it. And not to operate in your family and deal with life in ways that you think you know best. He says, but I want you to to work hard at adding to your faith all that Christ has called you to now. And when you fail, which you will, your hope was never in you. It was in the Savior who was completely in control and walked himself to a cross to die for you so that he would never lose you shouldn't that give us hope shouldn't that give us confidence shouldn't that change the way we look at life shouldn't that call us to now make every effort to add to our faith because we know the one who's going to sustain our faith let's pray